0: boys and girls ladies and gentlemen it puts a smile on my face when i hear that music because it means we are in for a treat it's another week of the wreck poker podcast forums edition i'm your host jim reed and if you'd like to learn about me or anyone else on the wrecking crew you can go to poker slash crew and select amongst a whole page of champions and wreck poker wizards that can help you on your poker journey I'd like to thank Website Amp and Running Aces Hotel, Racetrack, and Casino, and I'd like to thank this wonderful uh, group of Rec Poker Wizards that joins me every week. Uh, John Somsky, why don't you tell us folks a little bit about yourself and where they can reach you?
1: Well, believe it or not, my name is John Somsky, <laughs> and you can find
2: me at Poker Geek MN everywhere. And I'm Rob Washam, and
0: you can find me as Rabman50 everywhere. And every week we are playing in the Rec Poker home game like we do on Monday night. I mean, there's one every night at uh, nine o'clock Eastern. Thanks for putting that together, John. Um, most Mondays we're getting together here to talk poker. Uh, we take a post from the Rec Poker forums and uh, we bring it here to the panel to talk about uh, with some of our premium members. And we've got Doug and Jim and Stewie in the chat. Uh, so I hope uh, those uh, folks are piping in with some questions and comments as we go so the first one we're going to look at tonight is a forum post about hold'em variants and a few weeks ago we did an episode talking about six max uh no limit hold'em versus uh nine full ring and how your strategy might change a bit from one to the other and we also talked a little bit about uh, satellite tournaments and bounties and how your strategy might uh, differ in those kind of tournaments as well. And we didn't have time to talk about all the other ways you can play No Limit Hold'em, but it's such a rich uh, game itself that we thought we'd do a whole other episode just to cover some of that territory. So um, we're not going to talk about mixed games tonight. We're not talking about other ga- other games within the realm of poker. We're just talking about variants within which we can play uh, my favorite game, No Limit Texas Hold'em. So, We've talked about bounties we've talked about satellites we've talked about shorthanded, and we've talked about uh full ring so what are some of the other different kinds of variants that we could talk about um does anyone have any right off the bat that they're that they think is an important distinction
1: well i think the the first one and and the main one is just tournaments versus cash hmm. um i mean uh, A lot of rooms, and it's the easiest thing you can do is go into a poker room and sit down at a cash game. Those are almost always running every time you come in, and you don't need to wait for the tournament to begin. You can play as little or as long as you want. Um, It is a different style of game. There is not a single winner in a cash game and you are just trying to make good decisions as long as you can there is no pressure to uh, win or lose at any given moment so the biggest difference is in some respects it is cash games are easier than tournaments in that there is no icm considerations all you need to look at is for this hand what is the most profitable play And make that particular play. You don't need to worry about payouts. You don't need to worry about any other table in the room. It's really simple, straightforward. This hand, how do I make the most money? The other differences are at any point in time, you can always go back into your pocket and pull out more cash. So you don't have to worry about passing up this opportunity because you may get a better one later. You can take both opportunities. There is no cost to it. And finally, the main difference and the thing that makes it a little bit more challenging than tournaments is cash games tend to be played deeper stack. So you're playing deeper stack, more of the tournament. A deeper stack game has different complexities to it. Uh, In general, it's a little bit more complicated, but you don't have any of the ICM considerations. So, you know, that makes it a little simpler. But you need to be a little bit more careful you find when tournament players go into cash games they will often bet or be too aggressive because there is no tournament clock pressure that you need so you can kind of just take your time i think that's kind of a, a real brief overview anything else to add to that
2: Well, i think it depends on where you're playing if you're playing in minnesota you're going to be playing Typically, you're going to be playing limit as opposed to no limit, which is a huge difference in variance of, you know, of what's going on and how you play your hands. Um, When you don't have the option of going all in, it's uh, very difficult to chase somebody off of that crappy little hand that they got. (laughs) You know, they they were able to see a flop with, you know, if you're playing like a 3-6 game or whatever. They're they're able to see a flop with seven ten and there's a seven and a ten on the board and you're sitting there with a pair of queens or something you're thinking you're golden, well no they're not going anywhere so it's a totally different game when you get into the no limit uh, versus the limit game.
0: Yeah, and I think um, tournament players that get into deep stacked cash games they can kind of find themselves over leveraged a little bit because they're just not used to having so many chips behind. Um, when they get to the turn or when they get to the river that sometimes people can make put them in some really uncomfortable positions where you know um, the deeper the stack typically that favors the better player Um, and also it definitely favors the player in position so I think some tournament players get kind of used to being able to just get those you know 20-40 big blinds in good and it's just a completely different game when you have to worry about not leaving yourself open for counter exploits, you know, on future streets when normally there's just not enough chips in the stack to make that a factor. So I love that. That's all, that's all huge, um, huge importance differences between cash and tournaments. Also the, uh, the, the way that you experience your edge differs a lot in those two. Um, you know, if you're in tournaments, and we talked about this a few weeks ago, you're mostly going to lose money and every once in a while you're going to hit a good score and you're going to your graphs going to spike up and then you'll lose a bunch of money again. Then you'll win another thing and you'll lose a bunch of money in um, cash games. You tend to make them. There's still variants, of course, and there's swings, but it's in buy ins. It's not in hundreds of buy ins. And so you so tend to be sort of a more uh, consistent winner in cash games, small incremental progress. Uh, Assuming you're a
2: winning player.
0: Yes, of course. Right. <laughs> yeah. Good point. Well, what would you say so winning cash game players
1: what on average they probably win about 60 to 70 percent of their sessions Does I that mean about right
0: yeah something like that something like that like maybe if you're a small winner two out of three sessions then that's a then you're a winning player right like that yeah that, that's sort of in in the grand scheme of things
1: versus tournament players are almost the opposite. Right. You know, of course, they're going to have the bigger scores when they do hit. I mean, if you like get triple your stack in a cash game, that's usually a pretty good night. You can get more than that, um, like five or six times. But you're not going to get the 20 or 30 times that you often see if you win the tournament. Yeah.
0: And so actually field size is the next thing I wanted to talk about. So that's a great segue, because even just within tournament poker, there is a huge realm um of uh, different field sizes like uh, if you're playing in international uh mtt tournaments that are available to anybody that have maybe had a couple of weeks for a bunch of people to win some um, satellite tournaments and something like that you can be in tournaments with 30,000, 40,000 players in them um, so obviously the multiplier for your buy-in is going to be extreme if you can get to the final table of that you're going to do it you're going to do extremely well but it's going to happen extremely rarely so what some players like to do is they like to play in smaller field tournaments where there's maybe a few hundred people playing in the tournament, or maybe there's even just 90 people playing in the tournament, or maybe it's a sit and go uh, that only starts when they get 90 people or 45. Um, I mean, there's a lot of single table tournaments out there as well. And it, the the smaller the field, the more we're kind of approaching it like a cash game where we want to have incremental Uh, Progress. We want to make a little bit of money every day instead of just banking that one big tournament, which would, which is what would get us more inclined to play in the big MTTs. But you don't need to worry too much as much about your bankroll in the smaller field tournaments. You don't, there's not as much of a chance of you going broke. Um, You get to know the players better. You sort of get to get good at that one thing a little better. Most of the, most of the folks that sort of came up through the ranks of online poker back in the day, did it by finding one thing that they did well, single table sit and goes or double or nothings or something like that. And then they just like stuck with that and worked their edge there.
1: Yeah. So- and the smaller tournaments for the very reasons you just said, tend to have less variance associated with them. If you're a winning player, your cash is going to be more regular hmm. in the smaller tournaments, whereas there's more variance, meaning, you're going to have bigger wins in the bigger tournaments, but they're also going to be spread out and you might have longer losing streaks as well,
0: or it's, it's more likely that you will have longer losing streaks. Yeah. Uh, so then we could talk about a few different kind of tournament types. When I was cutting my teeth, um, I liked playing double or nothings and double or nothings were a pretty popular format. Uh, what feels like a long time ago now uh, where basically you would buy in for $10. There'd be 10 players at the table And when the first five players were eliminated, the remaining five would double or nothing. Would they double their money and everyone else would nothing. So it was a way, one of the things that was nice about it was that people hadn't quite figured out. It's essentially a satellite game. First place got the same amount of money as fifth place. And it was just about not bubbling the tournament. So double or nothings, they've kind of gotten a little more sophisticated over time. A few years ago, they changed it. So now, you win a certain amount for surviving, but then you also win a certain amount for the number of chips that you have at the end. And so there's an incentive for you to actually continue trying to win chips, even once you've kind of, you could fold your way into the bubble. So that's a different uh, strategy to employ there now, but you can see how a different strategy there would take sense. Yeah.
1: And do you know why they changed those rules? Tell us, John uh it's because of collusion actually Mm. in the double or nothing nothing tournaments it was really easy to have a team of players all play and you could dump a few chips to whoever had the low stack and because it didn't matter how many chips you had you could easily do that and share share in the equity so you had uh people who were coordinating teams Mm. trying to play in the double or nothing so it was rampant for collusion and that's why they've switched the tournament format.
0: Makes sense. And it's funny, you know, as, as users, we see all these rules and this is true in live uh, brick and mortar card rooms too. And we don't really understand why they have these rules or why they have all these silly little ways of doing things. But usually there's a reason. And and usually the people that are supposed to know, they know what the reason is. <laughs> <laughs> yep. That's a good example. That's a good example, John. Um so sort of on the other end of the spectrum, we've seen more popular these days, these like spin and goes or these uh, games where there's a, a small uh, player pool, uh, maybe just three or four players. But instead of uh, a fixed prize pool, there's a bit of a lottery where once you enter the tournament, it chooses a factor by which to multiply your buy in. And then everyone at that table is now playing for a different kind of uh reward it's it's kind of a mix between like the zoom or uh uh snap play with uh, some of this sort of like kind of gambling up some of this uh, sit and go stuff so you can see how in in these ones usually there's just like three players it's a hyper turbo and part of the skill edge from these honestly just comes in really focusing on the ones with the higher multiplier buy-ins and uh and just using the cheaper ones to Sort of get to know the structure of the game better and things like that have either of you guys uh, experimented with those or um
2: yeah somebody... i have on acr they have them hmm. you get in for five dollars and it it uh they go through a, what looks like a random generator Right. And you see all these dollar amounts go by and then it always stops at 10. Yes.
0: <laughs> right. <So. laughs> well, and, and I know one, the only thing I know for sure is that whatever their, uh, whatever their algorithm is for determining the odds for it, I'm pretty sure the house still has a slight advantage. Um, when oh, they yeah. go to breaking that rake yeah. out, something tells me, <laughs> something tells yeah, me so- they're still doing okay
2: it's always exciting when you see that $30 come by and it stops on 30 and there's only three of you and each put in five. So there you go. That's like, that's yeah. You're making some money then, but no, (laughs) it's, it's, it's fun.
1: Yeah. I mainly played them for play money on poker stars just to try out the uh, try it out. When they, they first came out, there was a lot of discussion on whether or not they'd even be beatable Mm. because the variance is so high. Could a pro, realize their edge and the truth is you you're not guaranteed to realize your full edge but you can still people who are good at it can still make there are people who just place it uh spinning goes and make their money doing that But it's really frustrating when you sign in, like for the play money, 10,000 play chips, let's say. And there are three of you playing and the prize pool ends up being (laughs) (laughs) 15,000, you know, and that's just (laughs) depressing. And then, you know, so you play two or three of those, whether you win them or not, you barely break even. And then because only the top player gets paid and then you get one that's like for 100,000. And of course you break that one right away.
0: <laughs> but it is, is—it it is, I, we, we've all, all three of us have said though there is something kind of fun about it though, right? Like there is, yes. it is kind of fun. It is kind of like a way of having a mix of, you know, you're capping your investment. You're also capping your time investment. Um, but there's also, you know, the chance of a big return. So it is kind of like a fun mix of of discipline and gambling and poker and
1: yeah it is it is a little different in that in at least on poker stars i can't speak to acr but in poker stars you start off with 500 chips Mm. so it's a very short stack tournament it's a turbo format so it's really meant for gambling it up um but there is still strategy involved of which i'm not sure i really know it but (laughs) the people who have an edge can still get an edge over the field in those things but it is the the skill edge is quite different than in normal hold'em you need to learn how to handle it particularly with the short stacks and with the winner takes all payout format mm.
0: well let's hear if let's see if our friend uh, jonathan little has anything to say about that and then we can come back and talk about this a little more I wondered whether you should call a pre-flop raise or three bet instead what do you do when you have a flush draw do you raise it Or do you just call? What
2: do you do with ace-king when you miss the flop? Are you tired of guessing about what the right play is with your particular hand? Well, my name is Jonathan Little, and I am a two-time World Poker Tour champion and creator of PokerCoaching.com, where we offer over a 1,000 interactive
0: hand quizzes where you play a hand and then get real-time feedback from our world-class pros. Don't guess, and don't stress. Just register for your free account at PokerCoaching.com slash right now. I'd do it, folks. He knows what he's talking about. There's a man you do not want to make angry. So um, here we are. We're talking about uh, different no-limit Hold'em variants. We've talked about quite a few. Um, A couple others I'd like to talk about, uh, shootouts. So shootout formats are where no matter how many people um do a uh, no matter how many people are in the tournament per table at the time whether it's eight-handed nine-handed six-handed heads up um, you just you play that table down to a winner and then until all the tables that are in play are down to one player they just pause and then when all the tables are down to a winner they redraw the next round so a shootout tournament it's a format where you actually have to play down through your entire table every time. So it's a good mix of full ring and shorthanded. It's it's not a quick uh, format because you kind of have to do it in a series of rounds. So every every slowest table of each round determines how long it takes. So it can take a long time. Uh, but that that is a good format. It's a good way to practice different um, you know four-handed, five-handed, six-handed, shorthanded, heads-up play. Um, but I'm not sure. For me it doesn't really suit my schedule my structure to have to kind of like keep dipping in and out of it on demand like that um that's just not a format that i like enough and plus if i'm going to be leaning into some poker i really want it to be one format that i'm playing all day on all my screens like i want to i don't want to have to be switching between this one's a satellite this one's a knockout because as we're talking about there's a bunch of different little little finesses to to how you play some of those edge cases
1: yeah, I, I personally really enjoy them, the style or the, the challenge of them. But the structure and you end up spending a lot of time waiting make them really difficult to, to do
0: regularly. Mm-hmm. And Jim says uh, he had good success on the one table sit and goes before Black Friday. Yeah, I think that was a real rich area for people like you and I, Jim. Uh, with great first names and just a modicum of discipline. (laughs) That's really all that was required in that time, right?
2: Yeah. Back in the day in party poker, I played a lot of sit and goes. I mean, that was my, my bread and butter really for Mm. a long, long time. And uh, I've started doing it on ACR also. And I like it because of the time commitment, Mm. you know, some of these big tournaments that they have you know you get five thousand players that term okay. you could be sitting there for eight nine hours
0: well they do freaking five hours of late <laughs> registration exactly for some, god's sake give me a break but yes that's how you get those big prize pools right that's why we're in it for yep. the mtts yep
2: so i like this i like the uh one table sit and go because it's uh the time commitment and uh they play a little different than you know the multi-table tournaments mm-hmm. too there's a there's definitely a different strategy on sit and goes than you have on some of the other forms of uh hold them
0: mm-hmm. yeah i think that and it's interesting like I, as we were saying before you know the more you play these particular little variants kind of the more you notice those little changes and strategies um and i think you know it, it a lot of it comes down to field size too and you know, the structure of the tournament and when to embrace variance and and when to shy away from it and stuff like that. And you do kind of like, you develop a kind of like a rhythm according to the structure too. Um, Like I know um, I used to play, I used to really prefer playing slow tournaments and regular speed tournaments. I didn't play a lot of turbos. I still, I don't really like hyper turbos. I, I like turbos now though um and it does you feel like you get into a different rhythm when okay now i need to start worrying about growing a stack now i need to worry about the bubble bursting what are the stack sizes going to be um all that stuff does matter so what about some of these other formats um timed tournaments where uh, i haven't really played many of these where they just you play for two hours and whoever's still in it counts up their chips and you divide the prize pool according to the chips have you guys uh, played with those
1: yeah, I have. They run those here. It's They're basically just a, uh, an alternate way to play at a cash game. Right. Because uh, here in Minnesota, you cannot play no limit, but you can play no limit tournaments. So they basically um, – like you can go down – you can play a, a two-hour tournament the first hour the blinds will be one three the second hour they will be two three um <laughs> so the, the blinds actually you know go up no. and then and then you just cash out at the end so um in that you you're playing with tournament chips so you're not tipping between hands but they do take their normal you know five or ten percent Uh, like if you buy in for 300 chips, it'll be $330 to get those. Um, but it's basically just a different way of, uh, a less convenient way of playing a cash game. Yep. It's just
0: a way to get around, uh, some local local laws. Yep. (laughs) yep. (laughs) Hey, make better laws, lawmakers. Come on. That's on you. (laughs) Um, and then I guess the, one other thing we could talk about is sort of the difference between um, freeze out tournaments and rebuys or re entry tournaments. Um, there, there's a little bit of a difference between rebuys and re entries. It used to be the case that you would you'd ent- exit the tournament and then you would just, without even leaving your seat, you could just kind of like buy back into the tournament in the same spot. Um, there's a movement now towards having to go kind of like manually re enter the tournament as though you were a new uh, register. Um, And, you know, there's, there's arguments for this and against this. It kind of depends on your perspective. When you make big tournaments re-entry, what you do is you, you give the people that can afford to max out their bullets to it, a better chance of getting to the final table. So no matter who they are, if, if I'm only, if I'm a recreational player and I'm only going to buy in once and you're a pro and you're going to buy in six times, it's just way more likely that you're going to get to the final table than I'm going to get to the final table. Now, you've paid six times for the privilege. So it's not like, I'm not saying it's a better use of your money. It's just on on paper. It's just way more likely you're going to get to the final table than I am. So there's a there's people out there that feel like when it's a freeze out, it just sort of makes it fair for everybody. And when there's a rebuy, it, it sort of gives people with deep pockets an edge. And then there's the other people that feel like, yeah, but I don't want to drive home because I just drove for an hour and I've got, you know, kings in versus aces on the second hand i just want to enter this tournament again and have a little second life plus i like to get a little gambly every once in a while i don't want to feel like this is my last uh my last chip and play here um what about what about you guys do you have any preferences on that or or uh is there one that you prefer or is there a reason why well in general if so in an ideal world
1: where there was an infinite number of tournaments starting um I tend to like to play the full tournament, all the levels. So I would prefer to, if I had a choice of re-entering the same tournament or entering a brand new tournament that was identical, I'd always choose the same one that was identical. That's just me. Um, However, you don't have an infinite number of tournaments. So sometimes it is convenient to be able to do the the re-entry. Um, I tend not to. Usually, the reentry points are a fairly bad deal by the time reentry closes. So, I tend not to take advantage of them up until the last moment unless I'm really
0: desperate to play. <laughs> <laughs> and, and and John, you mean because your buy-in is going to get you the same stack it would have originally, but now it's only worth fifteen or twenty big blinds or something? Right, right. At, at
1: the beginning of the tournament, when you sat down, you you sat down with a hundred big blind stack. Now you're still sitting down with the same ten thousand chips, but by the time re-entry ends, it may only be a ten big blind stack, or sometimes even less, hmm. depending upon. Um, the particular tournament mm-hmm. now with rebuys they're a little different so as jim mentioned rebuy you sit at the same seat and often you'll have add-ons as well this is one thing where uh daniel Negrano used to love these and he would he called them his own personal crack where he would play them and it, it he would learn what the break order of the tables was going to be and if the break order was going to be such that his tables was going to be one of the last to break. He would rebuy over and over and over again. There was one World Series tournament where I think he rebought something on the order of 27 times. And he had to get first place in order to recoup and win any money. And he did. <laughs> um, but what ends up happening is he ends up putting so many chips on that table that the likelihood that the winner of the tournament was going to come from that table was much higher and because he felt he was one of the best people on that table he felt that gave his odds much higher so even though he was making suboptimal plays by putting chips in play that he would end up winning back it basically allowed him to enter multiple times in the tournament and keep all the chips
0: to himself, you know, as long as luck ran with him. I that's don't... a pretty cool strategy. I hadn't actually thought about it on that level, but it's true. And especially if you, if you know your table's not breaking, and if you feel like you have a skill edge, you really should be embracing that opportunity to get more chips on that table. Cause you're going to be there playing against these people with a better chance to take more of those chips and put them in your own stack. Cause uh, that's definitely, if you told me that instead of rebuying, I could just like add a couple extra stacks and be at the end of day two. Um, That would be a different story as well. So like, I can see why that would be very valuable. Interesting. I like that, John.
2: Well, here's a question for you. We talk about rebuys and then there's add-ons.
0: So do you
2: always take the (laughs) add-on?
0: That's a question. I almost always take the add-on because it's usually incentivized in such a way that if if my, if I was going to take my original buy-in at X dollars, then for like, you know, 10 times as many chips, it still seems like a good investment. Um, but I, I, do people think that if, if you're at a certain chip stack already, is it less valuable? Like if you have no chips or if you have all the chips, does it make the buy that you add on less valuable? Do you think? I
1: think there are times you could argue if you were, trying to just map out the ev of it i think there are times when you are probably better off not taking the add-on um but i like to win
2: tournaments (laughs) (laughs) so i pretty much always take the add-on i don't recall an add-on tournament where i never where i didn't i don't think that's ever happened to me
0: yeah yeah i'd be interested if anyone uh listeners right in with your add-on experiences and uh, maybe we can drill down into that on a later episode um what else what other kind of little things like this i feel like we're almost at the end of this but we also talked about sort of the difference between uh registering on time and late registering like what john was getting at john likes to use all the levels um he likes to uh have that deeper stack in play for longer plus you know from a certain way of looking at it, the longer you go through the tournament, if if the worst players lose first, you know, the further you get in the tournament, the the stronger the field is. So you're going to encounter the most people that can make the biggest mistakes in the early stages. That's just probably a good time to be involved in that tournament.
2: Well, and that's uh, if, you, if you feel that you have a skill edge on that portion of the field.
1: Yeah. Good point. I know it also makes a difference. Um, there are people who will argue that you have a better chance of cashing in some of the tournaments. If you late reg. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I know um, at the world series, when Chris Ferguson was going for the player of the year, that was his uh, approach was to late reg the tournaments as often as he could. Now, part of it was because it allowed the him to play more tournaments and which gave him more opportunities to get points. And so I don't think that's the highest EV wise money play, but it was the way to maximize his potential for earning points. And the thought process is, yeah, you only have, you know, 10 big blinds or something when you get in, but one or two double ups and you're back where everyone else was. And you didn't need to spend the first four hours or five hours of the tournament or sometimes first day, even they uh, some tournaments these days, they allow you to buy directly into day two.
0: Yeah.
2: so Yeah. The, I think, I think that comes into play if you're a professional poker player and your hourly is important. Mm-hmm. If your hourly is important, um, if you can, if you can uh, buy in on day two, that means you, you, you able to take day one and do something else that's profitable you know you're not making the money on day one Mm -hmm. so a lot of times it has to do with the hourlies that that people are into um now for me personally um i prefer to like john i prefer to start at the beginning of a tournament um one of the things that is definitely an issue though is the variance that you're going to have in a tournament if you get in uh at at when registration is almost over, then the only variance you have is that 10 or 20 big blind chip stack. Whereas early on in a tournament, you've got all of these other players and you're playing against all kinds of, of erratic play, t- potentially, you know, you don't know what people's motivations are and you get stuck in these situations that are going to very much increase your variance. And then you're going to feel like, well, dang, I'm going to have to rebuy. So then you rebuy a couple times and pretty soon you're, you're saying to yourself, why didn't I just buy in right at the end there when I, <laughs> I could have?
0: Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and it does come down to like, what, you know, what is the goal for the tournament? Why are you playing? You know, I think for most of the, most of our audience, uh, if you're playing in a big live event, like part of the fun is being there in in the room the whole time, you know, like why would you want to give up on a few hours of that? Uh, when you could be kind of you know getting it under your belt calibrating yourself getting more comfortable with the mechanics of everything um so i I, i'm with both these guys i'm the same way i say play it all get out there um get comfortable show up early find out where the washrooms are give yourself a real chance get make sure you're comfortable at the table you know soak it all up um and have fun and kick butt and win a bunch of money so (laughs) eddie uh any closing thoughts uh, other than kicking butt and having fun and making a bunch of money? I guess the one thing for me is there's just so many different variants out there. Find find the one that works for you, you know, and you don't have to just play that way or just that kind. But, um, you know, different people have different personalities. We learn differently. We play differently. You know, John Somsky and Rob Washam and I are all excellent poker players as well. We like to tell ourselves. Um, but we all play in different ways. We have different personalities we have different playing styles and some of those playing styles might be more profitable in a particular type of tournament structure or in a cash structure or in something else than in others like uh, uh so you know think about it you never know and try some of these out you might you might have more fun than uh, than you expect
1: yeah i find you know just shaking it up every once in a while just it reinvigorates you mm-hmm. makes you enjoy the game more
0: mm-hmm And then you still get a little variation, but you don't have to try and learn a whole new game like Pot Limit Omaha or, you know, whatever you guys crazy getting up to on these Wednesday nights. But, uh, all right. Well, um, I'd like to thank Website Amp, of course, and Running Aces Hotel, Racetrack, and Casino. I want to thank Doug, Jim, and Stewie for joining in the chat. And, of course, John Somsky and Rob Washam and the great Steve Fredman. Thanks for making all this happen. And all our listeners. See you again next week, everybody.